Thank you. You can be seated. I'm about ready to stop being a Baptist and be the Baptocostal here this morning. Man, unbelievable. Whew, thank you. All the people that put that together from beginning to end. I'll tell you what, when he said we had a great staff, and that's not even half of it. It's an amazing. Praise God. Let's give him one more hand. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm privileged to uh, get all kinds of emails and uh, texts, and uh, here's a couple of them this week. Dear Pastor Tim, David and I began to talk about a spiritual journey they're on, but uh, one of the things they asked and said, thank you for praying for us and for God giving us wisdom. Thank you for the home church. And so, always great to uh, get that. Here's another one. Um, Pastor Tim, thank you for uh, that reminder. He was referring to a, each week we have a weekend uh, email that goes out, by the way. Last year, over 150,000 emails were sent. And because of the magic of the way they do things, now you can know how many people open them up. <laughs> uh, over 30,000 opened them up. That's my name for that. But uh, I have spent uh, much of my time blaming others for my own sin problem. You are a great pastor. Thank you for your many years of godly example to the men and young men in our area. Have a blessed Sunday and uh, their names there. So I thank the Lord for that. In addition to those emails, uh, we have uh, Wisdom Way publication now. We've uh, started a few years ago. Last Sunday, one of the dear men in our church, uh, not been coming too long, but he said, well, pastor, I read your book on tithing, and um, kind of matter-of-factly, and I said, okay, great, Amen. And he said, I just put in my first tie this week. <laughs> Amen for that. Praise God. So, uh, you know, it's important. You know, uh, good stories are nice, but nothing like the law of God <laughs> gets inside your craw. In addition to uh, the, uh, the word, uh, the emails, all the staff, uh, one thing that uh, we have is a podcast. And of course, the the world to put that together, and so we just use it for God's honor and glory. And we have now over 70,000 podcasts that have been listened to. Isn't that amazing? I just, I think, man, how in the world? I, who would have thunk this uh, church here in Lodi, you know? But thank God for those who get it out. Uh, um, um, 16,000 in the United States uh, last year, um, 248 in Spain. <laughs> I'm not sure who we got in Spain, Japan, well, I know who that is, and, uh, or at least a lot of them, Philippines, 186, Canada, 150, Netherlands, 91 listens, United Kingdom, 82, Australia, 40, Marshall Islands, thank God for the Marshall Islands, and uh, 36, Mexico, 28, Brazil, uh, Turkey, had 20 in Turkey, thank God for the folks in Turkey listening to the home church, uh, and uh, France, Pakistan, India, Kuwait. United Arab Emirates, 10 there, um, 8 in Ghana, uh, Palau, uh, Vietnam, I mean, just amazing. So thank the Lord for those who put that together. Thank you, Control Booth, all of you. You do a great job. Let's give them a hand as well. Praise the Lord. Well, we, uh, we have a limited time here. If, I, if I, my figures are right, we have about uh, 18, 19 minutes, and so... <laughs> Uh, six points, and uh, that's about 
Uh, well, anyway, it's not a lot of point, uh, minutes per point there. But uh, So let's uh, get into our message here. We're going to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 20, or, uh, verse, or chapter 16, please. A victorious church. We have a victorious church because we have a victorious Savior. Napoleon Bonaparte, considered one of the greatest military commanders in history, 200 years ago, and yet today, amazingly, his wars and his campaigns are still studied at military schools worldwide. He had a very clever and insightful quote. And listen, you have to listen closely. It's short. Victory always belongs to the most preserving <laughs> Victory always belongs to the most preserving. Now, we might have finished that deserving, but he realized that oftentimes it is the preserving that get the victory. Well, I will tell you this morning, there is nothing more preserving than the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. For the last 2,000 years, everything has been thrown at it. There have been emperors and kings and regimes that have tried to stamp about its existence, and yet they're gone, and the church is still here. Thank God for the church that Jesus Christ started in Ephesians chapter 5. He said it is his goal to present the church to himself, a glorious church, a glorious church. Folks, you are on the glory side this morning. You are on the winning side. There is nothing better than you can do this morning than to be in a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church. And so thank the Lord you're here today, and I look forward to this uh, moment here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. It's about six minutes, or excuse me, <laughs> I'm still thinking about minutes. It's about six months uh, before uh, the crucifixion of our Lord and the earthly ministry will be finished. He's been ministering, our Lord has been ministering and teaching and preaching but he's also been mentoring a group of guys. What an amazing, interesting, almost eclectic group of guys from every walk of life, from the military to the fishermen to the thinkers, uh, even a, a few other guys. He's been mentoring them. He's zeroed in on one of them now, and he's giving him his final exam. That's Peter. Let's look in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. In fact, uh, let's read these verses together, get it in your head, and, and so I go through quickly, we'll catch it. All right, ready, begin. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In these verses, 
I see six reasons why the church is victorious. This is an outline I actually read, and since I love to share truth, and I think that's the main thing in life is to share the truth. I love what one great journalist said. He said, originality is actually just the art of concealing your source. <laughs> and since there's no uh, such thing as anything new, truth under the sun, we just, every preacher just keeps sharing the same truth, maybe just kind of organized a little different. So this is a great truth. Six reasons this morning why the church is victorious. Number one, because of the foundation of the church. Now, the word church uh, does not refer to a building. It's not especially sinful to say going down to the church, but the truth is the church is the people. And as amazing as these buildings are and as useful and as wonderful and as needful, it's not the church. Actually, like the, down in the south, they'll sometimes call the church house. Go down to the church house, and that's actually very accurate because this is the house of the church. Verse 18, notice what it says here about this foundation, I will build my church. I will build my church. What is the building and who is the building on this church? It is upon Jesus Christ. It is built upon this rock. Now, uh, some people have read this verse that Peter is who the church is to be built on. And Jesus said, no, this church is built upon the rock. And he's, uh, this is a little play on words here. Now, some have said that their church goes all the way back to Peter. Nobody can actually uh, point that out. Nobody can prove that. The fact is, the church does, but no one particular denomination or one particular name of a church. Peter was an amazing man, a great man, but he was just a man. Jesus is who the church is built on. He is the rock. Now, the word Peter, and, and by the way, Jesus is nicknaming Peter his. His name is Simon. And um, you saw earlier Simon Barjonas, and that was his uh, legal name. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new name. It's interesting, throughout the gospel, sometimes he calls him Simon. Sometimes he calls him Peter. Other times he calls him Simon Peter. Uh, when he was talking about fishing, he said, you're Simon. That's your business. That's the family business. That's what Simon does. But here he says, you're Peter. That's his religious name. That's his spiritual name. It is the word Petra. And Petra means stone, rock. <laughs> Jesus called Peter Rocky. That was, he was the first Rocky. And so he said, you are no longer Simon. You are now Rocky to me. You've been vacillating back and forth, and you've been times great and other times not so great. But boy, he said, you are a rock now. Thank God for the rock of Peter. He was a great man. But he said, upon this rock, as much of a rock as you are, on this bedrock. And that's two different Greek words. The first one for stone, rock. The second one for like a a bedrock, a, like a mountain or a strata. He said, but upon the rock, I will build the church. And that rock is none other than Jesus Christ. And we know that that's what he was referring to because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, no other foundation can any lay 
than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Thank God that the church is built on Jesus Christ. He is the rock of the church. It's not built on doctrine. It's not built on a place. It's built on a man, Jesus Christ. I heard of a dear Christian woman who lay dying. Someone said within her hearing, oh, she's sinking. And she opened her eyes and as best she said, sinking? How can one sink through a rock? (laughs) Jesus is my rock. And he is the rock of the church, the foundation. Number two, the formation of the church. Verse 18, he said, thou art Peter. You're definitely a new man. You're rocky now. But he said, upon the rock, upon the bedrock, I will build my church. Isn't it amazing that God himself uniquely blesses when we, uh, when we engage in building the kingdom of God? You know, I mean, he loves it when we serve him for his glory, whether we're a mother or a father, whether we're out selling something or building on something. Those are all blessed efforts. Certainly for the Christian, nothing is sacred and secular. All is sacred. But in fact, God has a unique hunger and desire to build his church. That's why I've noticed that there's always an anointing when we go to doing the work of the Lord. Just notice that. Even on this campus, there's just a unique uh, anointing. And I've had so many people say, you know, I drive by, I see your church. There are hundreds. I'm, I would not be exaggerating to say thousands of people who've told me that your church is my church. They've never been here, but they drive by and they just like it. And they say, if I ever go to church, that's where I'm going. How <laughs> many people all the time? all the time. And they say, oh, you're, I know that church because there's an anointing. This morning I prayed, oh God, put your Shekinah glory even on the property. That when people drive by, they just sense that glory of God. But the fact is, here God says, I will build my church. I've noticed something about uh, church building. For years, uh, in, in early years, I'd frustrate the fire out of me. You know, we'd go out and knock on doors and not one person would ever come from where we knocked on doors. I mean, there'd be months where it'd be just like nobody would ever come from where we knocked on doors or put our effort. But they would come from some other place. Now, for a novice, they'd say, well, that just shows it doesn't pay. No, you got the, you're figuring wrong. God supernaturally builds his church. But he always blesses the work that we do supernaturally, the formation of his church is his job. I will build my church. In fact, the word church there is the word ecclesia. We get our word ecclesiastical. It actually comes, it's actually three kind of words all together, ek, which means out, but it's not just out. It's out of and collected, and then it's kaleo, so it's ek. Kaleo, ecclesia, which means called out from the world and assembled together. And that is what a church is. It is God collecting all these rocks so he can build it into this wonderful, and it's a metaphor, he's building this great uh, spiritual wall. And he takes rocks, big rocks and little rocks and odd-shaped rocks, (laughs) amen, odd-shaped rocks like me and you. Odd-shaped rocks and uh, smooth rocks and beautiful rocks like my wife, I mean. But he takes all these different kinds of rocks and he puts it together. He pulls them out of the pile of rocks. 
He puts them together. He mortars them with the Holy Spirit. He makes it into something wonderful and useful. He is the one who forms the church. Number three, the fellowship of the church. Notice what it says, I will build my church. There is a special fellowship that the church has with Christ. Now, Christ is not the church, and the church is not Christ, but it is inseparable. In fact, he uses many similes in Scripture to teach that. He said, for example, the church is a body. I'm the head. We have a body. Now, I've never seen a headless body walking around, and I've never had a head without a body. The fact is, they are inseparable, although they're not the same. It is a body. He likens the church to a marriage, a groom, and a and the bride, and though they are two, they are one, because when they marry, the Bible says they became one. So there is a fellowship. There is an inseparable unity to both. Here, he is saying, you are part and parcel with me, and I with you. That is what's wonderful about a Bible-believing church. It is, we feel Christ here. That's why God said, when you have two or three together, I'm right there in the midst of you. Why? Because it is inseparable. I have this uh, little rock here, and I picked it up at a very old place. In fact, the building uh, said uh, 1607 or something like that. This was a loose piece laying there, and so I didn't steal an artifact here, just in case you want to know. But uh, actually, that is a, a rock right there. That's a rock that was in the building. And this white stuff, although that looks like someone's own knee bone, and I don't think it is, but... Uh, I found a Viking knee bone, you know, from the 1500s anyway. Um, no, this actually is a rock and some mortar. But I'll tell you one thing, you cannot separate those two. They are, that's just like one rock. And that's what happens. God said, you are rocks and you are, and I'm putting you together with this mortar. I love, you know, I watch how people talk about church. Sometimes they say, you're a church. Boy, sure like your church, or, you know, I see your church. And I always feel privileged that people say that. But I love it when someone says, you know, uh, our church. <laughs> I love that statement, our church. It really, we buy into that uh, equity there, you know, just, you know, I, I, have, uh, I have something at stake here, you know, I'm in this. Together with you, it's our church. But I will say it's, to be the most accurate, it's actually not your church. It's not even our church. Actually, it's His church. That's actually what Scripture is saying. It is His church. He said, I will build my church. It is said that several years ago, an unfounded rumor spread that the President of the United States was going to visit a certain church in the East Coast. One lady in the community who did not attend any church regularly was excited. She called the church office and said, is it true? I mean, is it true that this coming Sunday morning, the President of the United States is going to be in your church? If so, I want to be there. Can I uh, reserve a seat? The insightful receptionist said, uh, well, no, ma'am, that's a, a rumor. The President is not going to be here, but the King of Kings will be here this coming Sunday morning, and we invite you here. And why? Because it is His church. It is His church, and He is the King, and we are His kingdom Notice number four, the faith of the church. Verse 13, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I am? And by the way, how crazy is life after 
almost 2,000 years, people are still saying the same question, who is Jesus? <laughs> and people think he was a prophet or he was a teacher or he was a nice man or others think he was whatever. But here it says, whom do men say that I am? Now we're going to get to the, the very core of what a church is all about. Verse 14, some say that thou art John the Baptist. You preach like, Je because Jesus preached like John the Baptist. He was a direct Bible preacher. Boy, I'm telling you what, he didn't pull any punches. President Calvin Coolidge had a nickname. Those of you who know history know that his nickname was called Silent Cow. He went to church one Sunday and afterwards was asked by a friend, what did the minister speak on? He said he preached on sin. He preached on sin. He said, well, what, well, what did he say about sin? He was against it. <laughs> and uh, you know what? That may have been a, a little bit terse and could have elaborated, but the fact is, folks, that is what is supposed to happen. We're supposed to preach against sin, and we're supposed to have holy lives, and here Jesus was that kind of a preacher. And so they thought he was like John the Baptist. Others thought he was Elijah because uh, of his ministry. Others thought he was uh, like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, verse 15. He said, that's what others think, but uh, whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, and you talk about the greatest uh, doctrinal explanation of who Jesus is. Here he is. Thou art the Christ, which means the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. And by the way, that is the one confession that's required to be part of a church. You have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That's why here at the home church, we don't have an unredeemed membership. At least uh, you can't join it uh, saying that you're unredeemed. And we may have people that are lost as members of our church, and sadly that happens. But the fact is, to be part of the local New Testament church, you have to make this, uh, you have to say exactly this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. That makes a church Christ-centered, not Joseph Smith-centered. Not Mohammed centered, not Tim Pollock centered, not you centered, or anybody else centered, but Jesus Christ. That's not even people centered. A pastor recently in the newspaper said, We are people centered. We're a people centered church, my friend. Something's wrong there. We need to be a Jesus centered church. Verse 17 Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. What he was saying was that. The fact is, you got it. You got the spiritual truth here. And that is what we say. It's not a head knowledge. It's not just a concept of, you know, I'd like to be part of that group over there. No, we require a, an experience with someone that's not flesh and blood. In other words, you have to be saved. You can't uh, say, well, my parents are part of the church. I'm part of the church. No, you have to get saved. And you have to say, I want to be part of this church. I plan to, uh, I, am, I am a saved person and I love Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Christ is saying here. The formation of the church and the faith of the church is Jesus Christ. Number five, the future of the church. And this, folks, it's, been, it's good already, but it's going to get good. Or look at this, verse 18. He said, and this is my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Folks, this was a very um, unique thing to say at this moment. His ministry at this moment was really suffering. I mean, this was a difficult season. 
And he said, we are a victorious people. I'm like, what? Looking around, it doesn't seem too victorious. I mean, things are getting pretty dicey out there. He said, no, because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, I have heard uh, in times past, preachers use this verse and this thought to prove divine perpetuity for the local church. And while I believe in the perpetuity of the local church, meaning it is a perpetually um, Holy Spirit uh, augmented organism by God. I mean, it's, it's not going to go away, even though that is a truth. That's, I don't think that's what this verse is saying. And the reason I don't is because it's not the gates of the church. It's the gates of hell. Because the thought here is, some think, that the church is going to withstand its gates are closed and the enemy's attacking. And no matter how hard the enemy attacks, the church will keep on going. That's what that verse says. That verse says the gates of hell will not prevail. That means that the church, that means that Jesus is attacking the gates of hell. Now, let me give you what this really means. Now, it's even, it's even better than that. The word hell there is the Greek word Hades, used about three or four times in the New Testament, not the typical word. The typical word is Gehenna, which is what we think of when we think of hell, which is the afterlife, a place of burning and so forth. Hades, however, means death. Jesus is kicking open the gates of death. That means people are bound by this fear of death. And that's fact, that's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, that all peoples are afraid of dying. Everybody. Why is everybody so worried about the coronavirus? They're not worried about the virus. They're worried about dying. Everybody's afraid of dying. I mean, that's our one chief fear. We have a lot of phobias, but I'll tell you one thing, nothing like the phobia of just death. We don't want to die. But for the Christian, nobody wants to die. I'm not looking to be on the next load, I'll tell you that for sure. But the fact is, you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't scare us. Because for the, why? Because Jesus conquered death. He conquered it. He kicked the doors wide open and said, come on, boys, we're out of here. Death can't hold any of us. That's what he did. He just grabbed them and said, we're out of this place. And he just took them with him. When did he do that? He did that at the resurrection. At the resurrection, he broke the back of death. And for Christians, we die no more. That's what he's saying here. That's what Jesus did. That's why we're part of a victorious church. And then finally, this morning, the function of the church, the foundation of the church, the formation of the church, the fellowship of the church, the faith of the church, the future of the church, and finally, the function. And now he ends with this wonderful statement in verse 19, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now you talk about crazy hokey pokey, <laughs> doctrinal weird stuff out there. There's a group down the road here as a Bible college, quote Bible college, and uh, which is a doubt on both words, but they say that Peter was given the keys and his plan of salvation is what gets a person to heaven. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name and there's no trinity. I mean, they have this long little idea. <laughs> it's just crazy, nutty. Well, here, people, and people all over have said, oh, here are the keys. And 
There are evangelists on TV and say, you send me $5,000 and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I mean, there's all kinds of craziness out there. Let me just tell you, let's get back to what this is saying. He wasn't saying, Peter, you and you alone, nobody ever else, I'm going to give the keys to heaven. He was saying, you, Peter, and anyone like you who has the Word of God preaching it and truth and sincerity has the keys so that people can enter into the door of heaven. You present people this opportunity to go to heaven. What is the key to heaven, friends? Salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed gospel, that is the keys. And so when you ever preach the gospel, you give a gospel track, you send it out on email or podcast or however the ways we do it, thousands of times a year, the church, this church and other churches use the keys that they've been given. And that is the main purpose and function of the church. Now, I'm against socialism. I think it is a satanic concept. It is anti-scriptural. The redistribution of wealth is just ridiculous. And I'll tell you, we've got a fight on our hands here in 2020, but I will tell you, fighting socialism is not the main job of the church. I am against substance abuse. I'm against uh, the abuse of uh, uh, recreational use of alcohol and marijuana and whatever else. But I will tell you, and I will do a, I will whack it every time I can, but that's not our job. Our job is not to make sure that nobody ever takes another drink. My job is to preach the gospel. Our job is to live the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I'm not talking about just getting them saved. I'm talking about from, from sinner to saint, the whole, the, the salvation and sanctification. That is the gospel plan because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, I want you to teach all nations and I want you to bring them from this way to this place to this place. That is our job, a victorious church. A survey recently in American churches, 1,000 American churches, listen to this, when Arn uh, did this survey, 1,000 American churches, 1,000, we're not talking about five or six, 1,000 American churches, people were interviewed. They asked the question, what do you believe to be the mission of the church? Here is what the American, the, the percentages in the American church. 89% said that the church exists to take care of my family and its spiritual needs. 89%. 11% said the church's mission exists to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Only 10% get it right. Most people have this concept that we're here to just sit and soak. Folks, God wants us to get out there like a mighty army and do all that we can through whatever means we can. God wants us to get out there and outside His church and do what we can. We, this morning, and people, you know, say, well, you know, I believe you can be as good a Christian outside the church as inside the church. When I was down in Mississippi, you know, they, I love talking to those folks, and they have some pretty awesome wisdom and some very short statements. And I say this. You know, when someone says, well, I believe you can be just as good a Christian, 
you know, outside the church is inside the church. I just say what they say, taint so. <laughs> it taint so. Taint so, bro. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a fact, you know. And they sound so tolerant when they say things like that. Other uh, liberal media and failed Christian periodicals like Christianity to say things like, the church is on the way out. The millennials uh, don't want it anymore. Well, I say to the fact that the church is on the way out, (laughs) you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) The church is on the way out, amen? I mean, the future of the church and God's church, God is going to take it home one of these days. But until then, we want to do what we can to win this world to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.